case. Have you had any appraisals? I had an appraisal done probably 15 years ago. They told me at that time it was probably worth about $6,000. They were a little low. <laughs> yes. Haddock Philippe is now purchasing those watches for their museum. This watch at auction, I suspect, would bring close to a quarter million dollars. No. Yes. Quarter million? This is one incredible watch. <laughs> I've never held a watch like this in my hand. What? You're kidding. That is one incredible watch. It can't be. <laughs> yes. No way. What? That is an incredible watch. Oh. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's the finest watch I've ever held in my hand. Are you serious? I've never seen anything like it oh other than gosh. photos. How do I get it home? <laughs> Carefully. Do not drop it. Oh, that is unbelievable. Keep it in a safe deposit well, box. Well, that's where I have had it all Good. this time, but I... Oh, my gosh. That is incredible. If you're a fan of the Antique Roadshow at all, you enjoy watching that when someone has something that's way more valuable than they thought. I'm sure all of you are going to go home now and start asking your granddad for his watch and seeing if you can find a Patek Philippe quarter million. That watch uh, now in 2019 uh, sold at auction for between two and three million dollars. So it's gone up even more. This idea of, of value, the appraisement. I mean, it's just a watch, right? It's, it's got glass in it, some other metal parts shaped a certain way, made by a certain company. And this guy had it in his safety deposit box, had been told it's worth about $6,000. Not a pretty expensive watch, cost more than my Timex. Um, but he just had it in a safety deposit box, takes it to Antique Roadshow. And this guy tells him that the company that made it, the Patek Philippe company is buying him back, and it's worth $250,000. You can see the look on his face where he goes, okay, I kind of probably carry this watch in, not caring too much about it. I mean, $6,000 is a lot, but he probably wasn't treating it too well. And he left out of there radically changed in how he held that box and what he thought about that watch because someone valued it, appraised it at a quarter million dollars. The honor that that man had for the watch radically changed when he realized the value of that watch, that the company that made it was willing to pay that much money so they could have it. Today, we're going to look at this idea that a transformed life is marked by honoring others. A, f a small phrase shows up in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 that speaks to this. But from that, we can branch out into other parts of Scripture and see how we are to honor others, who we should be honoring, and why we should be honoring them. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. But we're not going to stay there. We're going to jump around. So if you have your bulletin, you can write the verses on the back so you can put all the pieces together. When you get to life group, you can dig in more deeply. Paul says this in Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. As we work through the marks of a transformed life, we, we talked two weeks ago about serving humbly, using our gifts that God has given us, and hopefully you've been thinking about, God, how would you use me? How can I serve others? 
Last week we talked about loving others. And this week we're going to talk about outdoing one another and showing honor. And there's two words in this small little phrase, outdo one another and showing honor, that I want to highlight before we kind of wrestle with what that looks like and how we can do that. And the first one is this word outdoing. In the original language, it's two words pushed together that gives the meaning of to lead out in to be eager to take the lead in doing something. It's similar to, um, I think Alan Lindholt's not in here. We've had some foot races. Oh, he's right over there. Alan's over there. Stand up, Alan. Let him see you. Alan's one of our staff members, uh, pastor of care and connection. Awesome guy. But we had a foot race challenge several years ago. Um, he thought he could outrun me. I thought I could outrun him. We didn't know who could outrun who. So we had a race after staff meeting. And we lined up. And as we're lined up, I think Taylor, it may have been you, who was going to, he, he was calling the race start, right? And so we're both just eager like coiled springs, ready to jump the gun. There's a little bit of, hey, I want to start right before Alan does so I can get out in front. I can lead out in this race. And we were both just coiled up, ready to go as soon as the gun was fired. Even a little before, I believe, we took off running. That's what this word means. Now, I'm not going to tell you who won. You can ask Alan. Um, the word outdo one another is that we're eager to get out front in what we're doing. What are we eager to do? He says to be eager to get out front and showing honor to one another. And this word honor in the original language has this idea of setting a price or a value on something. It's used in another passage in Matthew's gospel in relationship to the price that was given to Judas who betrayed Jesus. Matthew 27, 9 says this, Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. So when they came to Judas and they said, We'll give you 30 pieces of silver if you betray Jesus. They set a price on Jesus' head. That word price is the same word used in Romans about honor. Outdo one another in showing honor, but the honor gets wrapped up in the value of something. The guy who had the expensive watch, once he realized its value, it changed how he treated it, how he dealt with it, how he understood it. If you found out that something in your house was worth a lot of money, you would immediately change how you used that thing. Because the appraised value was such that you now have to respond to that accordingly. And so here, this word, outdo one another, outpace each other, get out in front of the other person, lead out in showing honor. And understanding the value, the appraised value that each of us has. And that's what Paul tells us to do. So we want to spend some time today wrestling with why we should honor slash value people. Two, who should we honor? And three, how should we go about doing that? So let's start with why should we honor others? That question comes up. We go, what is it that would make us honor others? And in our culture, I think there's some obvious things that come to our mind. We go, well, one, they earned it. We, we tend to honor people because they've earned that honor. They've accomplished some great feat. They've served in some uh, amazing way. And so they get recognized uh, with an honor. And we feel compelled to, to, to value them that way because they've earned this great accomplishment. Or maybe at times we honor someone because we know they can give something to us. 
It's not that they've necessarily earned any honor. It's just that this person's in a position to help me out. And so I'm going to honor them. I'm going to give them this honor, this recognition, this value. They haven't earned it. They're just sitting in a position, and they can help me out. And because they can help me out, well, then we honor them. Or, or maybe it's just someone honored you first. And you go, well, they honored me, so I need to honor them back. You know, someone says, you're the best. You go, no, 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 you're the best, Nicholas. And then Nicholas says, no, no, you're the best. And when you, you get into a you're the best competition, and you're just honoring because it felt like you had to. You know, someone gives you a gift on your birthday, and you go, well, now I've got to write that name down because now I've got to give a gift back next year when their birthday comes up. I hadn't planned on it. I wasn't planning on giving a tailor a gift this year, but now he gave me one, so I'm obligated. He honored me, so I've got to honor him back. What does the Bible say, though? What does the Bible say about why we should honor people? I think the first thing that we can look at is that people are made in God's image. We ask, why do we honor and value? How are we to appraise human beings? We are made in God's image. Genesis 1, so God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. God has created all of humanity. There is no human that's ever lived that isn't in God's image. Every single one. And it's there inherently. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we achieve. It's given to humanity by God. James himself and, and Jesus' half-brother in his letter as he writes about how we are to behave as followers of Christ, he says this about the tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He says, brothers, this should not be so. It's similar to this idea of being made in the image of God to the United States flag. The flag represents the country. I mean, it's just cloth woven together. The same fabric that gets used in other types of things, getting woven into other products that are sold. But when it's woven a certain way with a certain pattern of red, white, and blue, it represents the whole nation. And if the flag is dishonored, then many people feel deep in their stomach this reaction to the flag being dishonored, to being left on the ground and walked upon or being burned. Because they realize what's happening is not that you're just burning some material. It's that you're saying something about what's behind that. The image of God is similar. How we view others, how we appraise their value is directly connected to being made in the image of God. And second, it's God's appraisal of people is the only one that ultimately matters. At the end of the day, it's what God appraises humanity at as, as what matters as far as their value goes. In Matthew 6, Jesus was trying to tell his disciples not to worry uh, and be anxious for tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. And he says, look, God feeds the sparrows that fly around. They don't think about going down to the store and purchasing clothes or, or where they're going to eat the next day. They're not making plans for what's, where's lunch going to be and making reservations to make sure they get in. He says, God takes care of the sparrows. And then Jesus says, aren't you of much greater value? That's the same word as honor in Romans 12, than them. That God appraises us as such high value. When that man brought that watch to the antique road show, and he said, well, someone told me it was worth $6,000 about 15 years ago. And this, this guy, as you can see, the appraiser's face, just go, well, he was wrong. He was so wrong. Here's really what it's worth. Here's what the company that made it will pay you. Quarter of a million dollars. If we want to know, like, humanity's value in God's eyes, I think it's very simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only 
begotten Son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have life everlasting. You want to know how much value God places in humanity? He sent his own son to die for humanity, to bring humanity back. Patek Philippe will pay a quarter million dollars plus now for their watches to get them back. God will pay his own son's death. So when we understand the value of humanity, we can begin to see how we should honor them. And James speaks to this in the second chapter of his letter. He says it this way, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, James understood this. When we begin to assess and appraise the value of someone, James gets it. As humans, the rich guy comes in, has a gold ring, nice clothes, and he gets treated to the best seats, the best food. Why? Because maybe he could help you out. He has something to offer you. You've assessed his value. And James says, and the poor guy comes in, and he shuffled off to the side seats, the cheap seats, and, and relegated to this insignificant position. Why? Because in our worldly reckoning, he doesn't have much to offer. He doesn't have much to give. And we've appraised him incorrectly, James says. In fact, we've appraised with evil thoughts. Because we've made these distinctions in the value of someone based on how they can help us. As opposed to the ultimate appraiser, which is God himself, who has given everybody great worth and honor. And that we are to honor them because God has assigned their value. So given that we should honor people, who should we honor? Does the Bible give some specific examples here? I'm not going to mention all of the ones that the Bible gives, but it does give uh, some places where it explicitly says we are to honor certain people. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, so if you see this and go, okay, I only need to honor the ones on this list, the Bible isn't written that way. But there are circumstances where certain groups came up to be honored. And so I want to mention those. First is God himself. Who should we honor? God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In the same book in chapter 6, he says this about Christians. For you are bought with a price. The same word that's used in Romans 12 to talk about honor. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That a saved believer has been bought with a price, the price of God's own son's death. And as we recognize that, then we honor God. We recognize his value. We are to put him first in all things. That God being the one we honor above everything else orients all of the other things in our life. It helps us evaluate correctly the value of everything else in our life. God comes before our marriages. He comes before our parents, before our children, before our jobs, before our church, before everything. God is first, and that orients all of the other relationships in our life. If we get that relationship off, if we're not honoring God, appraising him correctly, valuing him correctly, all the other relationships can fall in the disarray. In fact, Paul in Romans 1, 
verse 21 says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1, Paul is laying out what it looks like as humanity turns from God. He says they didn't honor God. They didn't value him. They didn't understand who he was. And because of that, they didn't give him the honor that was due him. And if you read the rest of chapter 1, humanity falls into sin and chaos and disarray. And the same in our own life. We honor God first, and that sets up the rest of how we value things in our life. Second, we see in Scripture that we honor our parents. Exodus 20, 12, one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For some of you, honoring your mom and dad is easy. They were good parents. And it's just easy to honor them. My mom is 80 today. It's her birthday. So, Mom, if you're watching on Facebook, happy birthday. She was easy to honor. She was a great mom. Had a great dad. He's already turned 80. And they're just easy to honor. Now, I didn't always honor them. There's many times growing up that I would dishonor them, that I wouldn't do what they asked. I didn't show them the respect that was due them. I didn't even understand how valuable they were. I wasn't aware of it. Those teenage years are difficult, right? Our, our youth group, for the most part, is in the first service, so I got to talk to them. Those teenage years are hard. You're growing up and trying to wrestle with, I, I have my own thoughts. I have my own life I want to live, but I'm also under the authority of my parents. How do I wrestle through that? I spent many years in student ministry, and I would always tell parents whose kids were seniors in high school, I said, look, I know it's tough. Your kids are going to go away to college, though. They're going to go off and get a job. And in a year or two, they're going to come back at Christmas sometime. And they're just going to sit down and talk with you. And you're going to think, wow, this is like a regular human being talking to me. And I'm not a horrible person anymore. And you won't know what happened except that it's like my kid isn't, you know, hating me anymore. They don't think I'm stupid anymore. So that's normal. That's going to happen. At some point, we grow up and we go, oh, our parents, we begin to see them for how amazing they are. But maybe you're here and your parents weren't amazing. I had one of the kids in my youth group whose dad was not a good dad at all. And around 15 years old, he came and talked to me. He says, he's a Christian trying to follow Christ. And he goes, how do I understand this passage? Honor your father and mother. I can't honor my dad. There's nothing about him that's honorable. He's, he, he mistreated us. He's run away. Just... Nothing about him can I honor. How, how do I make sense of this? This doesn't seem like the right thing at all. And we talked, and I told him, I said, 10 years from now or so, you're probably going to be married. You'll probably have a kid. In fact, he is married now, and he does have a kid. And I said, how you honor your father who doesn't deserve honor, hasn't earned it at all, is going to impact how you are a parent as you get older, that this position of parent that is in our life, God says we are to honor that because the position itself is, is honorable. God has given great value to moms and dads. It's why as moms and dads, we work so hard, hopefully, to be honorable, to be the type of parent that our kids can easily go, I see your value. I see how amazing you are. Even in the moments when they don't see our value, parents, even in the moments when they're yelling at us, when they're wrestling with us, when they're fighting with us, we are still pouring into them so they can easily see the value of parenthood. 
But for those here who, it's hard to honor that parent. Understand, it's the parenthood that we're to honor. And, and the idea that's there. And, and then we see not just parents that we're to honor, but employers. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells bondservants, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Our employer, the person we work for, we're to show honor to. That doesn't mean we agree with every decision they make. It doesn't mean that everything they do, we think, ah, oh, that's how I would have done it. That that's No, there's this place that when you're working for someone, you go, I'm going to honor them with my time, with the energy I give to them. I said I'm going to give them 40 hours a week. Here's 40 hours of the work I'm going to do. I'm going to put my best foot forward and honor that person. Employers, we need to honor our employees. They're not cogs in a machine. They're just to kind of fulfill our desires and our dreams and our wishes that the boss needs to look at the employee and also go, how can I honor these people as image bearers who are working as part of this project that we're a part of, whatever that industry is that you're in. The Bible says we're to honor the governing authorities. Now, this gets real personal, doesn't it? We're in 2020. If you're not aware, people are running for president this year. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Here's what Paul says in Romans 13, 7. We're going to have a whole sermon on how we as Christians relate to the governing authorities. Romans 13, 7 says this, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Peter writes in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 17, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We have Paul and Peter both saying we need to honor the governing authorities. Now, they were not living in a country that is free where they could elect their officials. The emperor was there by power and might, and he really wasn't a fan of Christians. There was persecution going on. Ultimately, the emperor sat behind Pontius Pilate who crucified Jesus. These are the ones that Paul and Peter are saying, honor the emperor. Now, when we hear that, let's get this straight as Christians. At the top of our honor, value, appraisal pyramid is God. He sets the agenda for everything else we do. So if someone is asking us to do something contrary to God's will, we don't do it. Plain and simple. We see that in Scripture. There were governing authorities that asked Peter and John, quit talking about Jesus. And they said, well, we hear you. We're not going to do it. They ended up in prison for it. But they simply were not going to follow that command because it transgressed God's command. So if someone that we're under authority of and we're trying to honor says, do something opposed to what God wants you to do, we simply go, I will not be doing that. With that said, what we tend to find in our culture with governing authorities is if we like the person in office, we cheer them. If we don't, we attack them. And we attack them, not the ideas, not the policies often, but we attack them. Just go look on social media and see how many uh, issues are personal attacks on a person whoever's running for president, and not just the ideas. When it says honor the governing authorities, we are more than um, able and within God's guidelines. This idea is wrong that is being put forward. I think this policy is wrong. Here's why. I think this goes against God's word, and here's why. We are more than under God's, you know, living within his, um, what he would have for us to do that. But as soon as we start saying, I'm going to attack this person, 
as a person. We've stepped outside of what God would allow us as Christians to do when it comes to honoring the governing authorities. And again, this comes from guys who are watching people they loved be killed by the governing authorities. So it's not that Paul and Peter said, ah, the guy I really want in office is in office, so let's honor him. He was honoring in the time when the other group was in power, as far as Peter and Paul were concerned. It was the other group that we are to show honor to them. And if you look at 1 Peter 2.17, he doesn't just say honor the emperor. The last one is honor everyone. So in case we left someone out of the mix, and there's all sorts of relationships, we honor teachers, we honor husbands and wives. Across the board in all our relationships, we are to honor people. And so we go from, why should we honor? Because we're made in God's image. God has appraised humanity as of great value. Who should we honor? We gave a list of some relationships in your life that you can look at and say, I need to value that position. I need to value that relationship. And finally, how should we do this? How should we honor others? If we're at the starting line, ready to jump the gun to outdo each other and honor what are some things we can take to our life groups this week and talk about and wrestle with? First, as we begin to see how can we honor others, it starts with being humble like Jesus. Matthew read earlier, Philippians 2, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is at the top of the honor, glory pyramid. He's God. No one is greater than him. And yet he humbled himself. He said, I came to serve and not be served. So we have to start with that attitude, an attitude of humility, of looking at others and saying, how can I value them? How can I align my thinking about them with God's evaluation of them, his appraisal? Of them. That's where it starts, humbling ourselves. So how can we go about this this week so that we can have some practical things? Two things I want to talk about. One is give up the front seat. Last week, Matt talked about the idea of the front seat of the car, right? That's, that's like the prize seat unless you're driving. If you're not the driver, the prize seat is the front seat. And have you ever been in the situation where you're heading to the car and there's a group of people, and you know that like one of the people in your group is the important person. There's a driver, and then there's this like really important person, and that person just goes to the back seat and gives up the front seat and says, no, no, you go sit up there, and you're like, oh, I feel weird now. I'm sitting in the, in the seat that normally you would sit in, but now you're sitting in the back. I feel weird. There's that point in life as you grow up where at some point you go, hey, I'm sitting in the front seat, and my dad is sitting in the back seat behind me. Why did he do that? That doesn't seem right. That, that is odd. Now, I don't know what your front seat is. I don't know what for you in your life the front seat is that you could give up for someone else to show them that you honor them. I mean, it may be the actual front seat. If you're running out to the car to get in the front seat, you may, let me stop and say, let, let my 
brother or sister, take the front seat this time. I'm not going to beat them to the front seat. What is the front seat in your life? As you get in your life groups this week, talk about that. Wrestle with what is my front seat that I could then put someone in that position so that they know they're being honored. Maybe it's you do some chores around the house. Maybe it's something as simple as going, um, I would prefer not to leave as early in the morning to drop someone off somewhere, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to honor that relationship and value their time and who they are and drop them off. You need to figure out what are my front seats and, and how can I put someone in that seat and not myself to show them that honor that I want to give them. And third, and this is something we can show each other, is what I'm calling hashtag NBC honor one another. So I want to challenge you this week on your social media accounts, whatever they are, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, to honor others, hashtag it with NBC honor one another. That way we can, if you want to go gather up all the Northland Baptist honors, you could see them. Here's what I want you to do, though. Just go, who deserves honor in my life? Now, understand this. Everybody deserves honor. But at some point, you can't hashtag everyone in your life. You would think, Man, I'm going to send out a, 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 a hashtag NBC honor one another to my kid's teacher. That just tell them how great they are. Or, or, or maybe someone, you know, a parent that you want to send out and just say, hey, here's why this person is so amazing, and you send it out. Now, not all of us have social media, uh, and even for those who have social media, I want to challenge you to do this also. Don't just do this on social media, but actually go to the person if you can get there. Pick up the phone so they can hear your voice and tell them how much they mean to you, why you honor them with your words. Hopefully we're honoring people in our deeds, that our actions show that, that we're giving up that front seat, and we're showing them the honor that, that God wants us to give. We've appraised their value correctly, and we're doing those things, but it's also good to hear those things about why your mom or your dad is worthy of honor, why our kids are worthy of honor, how we are to outdo each other in honoring them. So each day this week, see if you can come up with a person or five and flood social media with honoring one another. Now, if you're like me, you're going to go on there and hashtag NBC honor one another and say, I wonder who's honoring me right now, too. You're going to look for your own and go, who's, who's putting me in a post? And we can't help but do that. But here's what I want to encourage myself and you as we're straining to outdo one another. Don't just always be looking behind thinking, okay, who's catching up so I can see them honoring me. And we want to do that. We want to honor each other. And if someone honors you, it's okay. Say, hey, I want to honor that person back. I want to, I want to recognize this value that we've placed on each other. So I want to challenge us this week, for one week, to honor one another. Let it be visible and obvious on social media, but also in person. Just telling people what they mean to you and how you can then honor them with your words and with your deeds. Because the Bible is very clear that we're to outdo one another in honoring each other. And we do that because God has placed his great value upon you. As the band comes forward to lead us in a time of worship, if you're with us today, as always, and you have never heard that God has valued you so much that he would send his son to die for you, that he would send his son to take your sins away, if you've never heard that, Never 
penetrated through to you of how valuable you are to God. Then I encourage you today, if you want to talk about that, I'll be in the back corner. You can come talk to me. You can write on your Connect card. I want to talk with the pastor. We'll get together this week and talk. You can grab one of us after service and, and, and talk to us. But you are valued by God. You've been appraised by him so much that he would say,